Have you ever considered doing in-office blood analysis? No doubt that the quicker you get test results back, the quicker you can diagnose and treat a patient. Patients would love that immediate result, and so would the healthcare provider. So why don't we do this? That's what today's show is all about. I did the research to see if providing in-office blood analysis would be right for my practice, and the results really surprised me. Welcome to the Functional Medicine Podcast. This is a show for practitioners and patients who believe in treating the underlying cause of disease and not just the symptoms. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Mulhern, and my mission is to make functional medicine the dominant model of healthcare. This episode of the Functional Medicine Podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Functional Wellness Docs, who provide business and clinical tools to help your functional medicine practice grow. Please honor their support of the Functional Medicine Podcast by visiting their website at functionalwellnessdocs.com. That's functionalwellnessdocs.com. So a few weeks ago, I decided to look into doing blood analysis in my office instead of sending my patients out to LabCorp Quest. Why not just do that right in the office? That way, increase compliance, increase convenience, uh, win-win for everybody, right? So I picked up the phone, called my McKesson rep and said, hey, what do I need to do to make this happen? And his first question to me was, uh, what kind of tests are you looking at running? And I said, well, probably to start with CBC with differential, CMP, lipid panel, simple stuff, um, perhaps thyroid testing. But, I, you know, if I have to refer out for that, I'm OK with that. But I really want those kind of core basic things that I would be able to do in the office. And he said, well, my second question is why? Why do you want to offer this? And I said, well, it really would be more about convenience, convenience for my patients, convenience for me to be able to have more control over the process, to be able to control the cost for the patient and um, not have to wait sometimes a week or two. Patients have good intentions, but sometimes they leave the office and, you know, life happens. So he said, well, doc. Uh, given that, you're probably not going to move forward, but let me go ahead and explain the process anyhow. And he gave me over the course of 10 or 15 minutes quite an education, and I thought I would share that with you. So the first thing that we have to look at when we are considering whether or not we're going to have in-office blood work is it's actually regulated. Uh, so you have to obtain CLIA certification. Uh, some people call it registration. I think for the sake of this podcast, I'm just going to call it a certification. And my little disclaimer is there's probably a lot more, but this is going to give you kind of a broad overarching idea of what has to happen or what to consider uh, if you're thinking about doing this. So there are several categories of CLIA certifications that may be required. Now, the first one that we're going to talk about is for CLIA waived um, products or CLIA waived tests. And CLIA waived tests really apply. Uh, I should read it directly for you. It has a simple lab examination or procedure that have an insignificant risk of an erroneous result. So meaning if we get it wrong, it's not the end of the world if the test fails or is inaccurate. So examples of a CLIA wave test would be things like a blood glucose test, a UA by dipstick. Uh, so you don't have to jump through all these hoops and hurdles to be able to do those simple things in your office. Now, if you want to be official, you should apply for a certificate of waiver, which can cost about $1,500. Um, now, one little caveat to this is that each waived test 
is specific to the kit or the whoever manufactured or produced the test kit uh, because they have to apply for the CLIA waiver. And so, for example, what that means is if you wanted to do... Um, I don't know, a simple white blood cell count with a CLIA waived test kit by Abbott, you would have to use the test kit by Abbott. You couldn't use some other test kit, even if it looks like it does the same stuff, has the same reagents, the same look, the same everything, doesn't matter. It is specific. So you can imagine how complex that could get if you were going to have a lot of these CLIA waived tests in your office making sure that you were using only those that were truly CLIA waived where the kit matches the actual waiver and keeping those in stock and keeping up on it. So that's kind of the first hurdle. Now, there is another category for offices that do microscopy, things like wet mounts. Uh, that probably doesn't apply to most people listening, so I'm going to skip over that one. Now, the low-level complexity would be next. Uh, we're going to skip over that, too, just for the sake of time because it doesn't apply. But low-level complexity is just kind of the next step up above a CLIA-waived um, requirement. Now, to my surprise, you actually have to be classified as a moderate-level complexity lab in order to run a simple CBC or a CMP. What? I know. Isn't that crazy? And even better, this certification process is regulated by three entities, uh, the CDC, CMS, and the FDA. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a whole bunch of red tape to me. Um, so, so yeah, pretty complex there. The process to obtain the certification can take up to a year. And there is an application fee and there's also a site inspection fee. The site inspection fee varies by state. And I think that has to be done annually. So there is a potential chunk of expense there. Now, that one-year process sometimes can be expedited. There are companies out there that you can work with that will help handle the process for you. One company that I talked to charges between four and 6000 to get you through the process. So that doesn't include application fees or site visit fees or anything like that. It's just their kind of management fee to get you through that project and process to become a moderate-level complexity lab. So, wow, that was unexpected. And then we start talking now, let's talk about other expenses that would have to be incurred. Some of these may or may not apply, but let's just hit start at the top and kind of go down in no particular order. For a moderate level complexity lab, you are required to have a lab director. Now, that lab director has to have certain credentials like an MD. There may be others. I'm not sure. I didn't dig deep enough to see if an APRN or PA would qualify, but that person has to have special credentials. Now, it's kind of like continuing ed. They can obtain it in a week or two. Um, so, by the way, if this is something you're interested in doing or offering to other people in your area, if you are an MD and want to be a lab director, then you can take that course and be able to do that. Now, that lab director does not have to be a full-time employee. They do not even have to be on site, but they do have to have that special credential. Now, the next thing is staff because the lab director isn't going to work by themselves. So you're going to need to have a phlebotomist on staff or a lab tech, somebody who can be responsible for the day-to-day -day running of that lab, uh, doing all the paperwork, all the measurements, all of the reporting, and would handle the blood draws and uh, just maintaining the equipment, everything. So that's typically not 
all done by one person. So you would need to have staff and you would also need to have dedicated space. So that area in your office, which may be being used for something else that you would need to convert to a lab, or maybe it's kind of dead space and doesn't have a use right now, but converting it into a lab and having the space for the patient and the tech and the equipment with the knowledge that when it's not being used, it's not producing revenue. So that dedicated space has to happen. And now you have to fill it with equipment. And that equipment would be things like the lab analysis machines to do the CBC, the CMP, etc. Perhaps a centrifuge. You know, we have to have a, a phlebotomy chair for the patient to sit in while they're getting their blood drawn. Maybe a special refrigerator or freezer, depending on what kind of testing you're doing. So there is equipment that has to happen. In terms of that equipment, here comes another surprise. To me, I would think that one machine, you just, you know, put the blood in and it would run everything for you, but it doesn't work that way. There is one machine that does the CBC. There is one machine that does the CMP. And then depending on what else you might want to run, lipids, thyroid, other hormones, nutrients, etc., there are other machines. Right. So, uh, and now you also have to purchase software because all of these different machines report in different ways. And to have one coherent uh, report that is easy to understand requires software to kind of stitch everything together. So, between the equipment and the software, you could sink in between thirty and 50000 before you even see a patient in the lab. And then don't forget supplies. You have to have things like tourniquets and Band-Aids and disinfectants, and uh, you have to have the needles and the sharps container. Um, although if you're already a medical office, you probably have the biohazard stuff under control, but that is something else to mention. If you don't currently have biohazard um, protocols in place, you would need to have the sharps container, the disposal box, the red trash bags, uh, your biohazard plan um, with annual site visits by the state, etc. So that does come into play too. So needing all those supplies, etc. And now another piece is there's annual testing. So in addition to the monitoring that has to be done and kind of the quality control that has to be performed daily, weekly, monthly by whoever is running the lab and responsible for the lab. So for example, you may need to have logs where the temperature of the room or of the refrigerator or whatever is documented every single day. And you have to maintain those logs for a certain length of time. So we have all of those kind of requirements. But then you also have annual testing. So at least once a year, the CDC will send you kind of a mystery sample and you have to test it and send it back and you have to get it right. Uh, so it's kind of a, a little quality control mini test that is built in. So that is, again, done by the CDC. Now, one thing I did want to mention for those of you that come from an urgent care or hospital background. You may be familiar with the iStat by Abbott. So it's a little handheld machine that does rapid analysis. Um, and a lot of urgent cares and, and emergency rooms will use that. Again, it's called the iStat by Abbott. It has these little cartridges that you plug in and then you can run whatever analytes that you're specifically looking for. And historically, the iStat has the cartridges have been Clio Wave. But my McKesson rep told me that people are in for a rude awakening because over the last couple of years, whether the CLIA waiver has expired or was not resubmitted or for whatever reason, over half of the iStat cartridges are no longer CLIA waived. So if you're using an iStat, that is something to be aware of and to put other steps in place to make sure that you're covered and protected with that. 
Um, now, so the bottom line is this can be a very costly and time consuming process. It can take up to a year to be able to do in-house blood work analysis, um, to be a moderate level complexity lab. There's lots of checks and balances that have to happen, lots of processes, and it can be extremely expensive. So unless you have a multi-doctor clinic or you're seeing a high volume of patients, it likely is not going to give you a return on investment um, in a reasonable amount of time. So my McKesson rep was right. I chose not to move forward with this at this time. I'm a solo practitioner, so it didn't really make sense. But it was such a wealth of information And I don't think that probably many others are aware, uh, at least not the docs that I have talked to. They had no idea, like I had no idea uh, of this process and everything that it would take and the expense. So my McKesson rep was right. I chose not to move forward with this. I'm a solo practitioner, so it didn't really make sense for my practice, but I learned a ton about it. So let's recap what I learned. Here are the key takeaways. Number one. To run tests such as a CBC with differential or a CMP, you need to be designated as a moderate level complexity lab. Number two, CLIA certification, etc., is controlled by three government entities, CMS, CDC, and the FDA. Number three, it can be cost prohibitive when you take into consideration the space, the equipment, the supplies, the software, the credentialing, the staffing, the site inspection fees, the application fees, and more. And point number four, unless you're going to do high volume, it likely will not be profitable. I hope you found value in today's discussion. If you found this podcast worth your time, please take just a moment right now to look down and like and subscribe to this podcast. You can help others discover the Functional Medicine Podcast by leaving a five-star review. Thank you. Until next time, I'm Dr. Kelly Mulhern.